From the AMF Podcast Studios, you're listening to the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. So, Happy New Year, or belated Happy New Year, everybody. Um, Last time we spoke to you, I must confess that my audio quality was terrible, and I apologize for that. And I was really trying to make the case to Santa Claus to get me a new microphone, and it just didn't happen. So maybe maybe next year. But at any rate, Abby, how did you uh, fare over the holidays? Pretty good. We took a little trip. You did? Yeah. Yeah. It was good. And we care to share? Do you care, care to share? Yeah. Yeah, we went to Hawaii. We went to the Big Island um, for half the trip, and then we hopped over to Kauai. It was awesome. That that sounds like a blast. It's a great place for busy people, which we are. We don't like to just sit still very much. So if you like to explore and hike and drive around and see things, it's a great, both of them are great places to go. So lots of activities. Yes. I like activities myself. Yeah. So... We're back. Yeah, here we are back at work. Um, new year again. Uh, happy New Year belatedly to everybody. We thought we would talk today about reporting hospitalizations to OSHA. And the requirement is, I suppose, straightforward enough. But Abby and I get a lot of questions and we see a lot of errors when it comes to employers reporting an inpatient hospitalization to OSHA. So we thought we'd just sort of go through some of that so that we're all, we being all of our listeners from all over the world, um, that we're all on the same page with uh, regard to when you have to, when and under what circumstances do you have to make the uh, report to OSHA? And it sounds, it's uh, a, Somewhat daunting, I think, because let's face it, under the law, as an employer, under certain circumstances, you're required to call the cops on yourself. It's basically what you're doing, right? Yeah. OSHA is like the safety police, and we are required to call the police. Can you imagine Uh, if you had to call the cops on yourself every time you sped in your car? Well, it it kind of feels that way. Yeah, it does feel that way. So you better make sure that, you know, you're doing it correctly because um, you don't want to call the cops on yourself unless you really need to call the cops on <laughs> Right. <yourself. laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is the requirement? What's the, the basic requirement? So you have to report certain injuries to OSHA, right? Nope. Either by calling or by going online and reporting. And those injuries are, you know, serious injuries. So if you have an amputation, loss of an eye, death, certainly, um, or then the trickiest one that you mentioned is the inpatient hospitalization of an employee for treatment. And all of those things have to be true if you're going to report a hospitalization. It's not just somebody that goes to the ER. They have to actually be admitted to the inpatient unit for treatment, not just observation. And it gets tricky because it's really hard sometimes to figure out when that has occurred. Um, And particularly because, you know, the, the law is that you have to report it within 24 hours of learning of 
the inpatient hospitalization as a result of the work injury. So where do you see people getting tripped up with this? Because I, I know where I do, but it's probably the same. I see two two issues coming up. One is the treatment issue. Mm -hmm. And the other is the time that the injured worker is admitted to the hospital in relation to the time of the incident. Yeah. So let, let me just talk about that one first. If somebody is hurt at work and they are taken to the hospital and admitted to the hospital within 24 hours of the incident occurring and they're admitted to the hospital for treatment, as we'll discuss in a minute, then you have to affirmatively make this call or um, uh, make the report to OSHA on their website. Again, it has to occur. The inpatient hospitalization for treatment must occur within 24 hours of the moment of, of the injury. So if, right. if I'm injured right now, and let's say it's 101 p.m., and I am taken to the hospital this afternoon and I am, or no, no, let's say I don't go to the hospital. Let's say I go to the ER today and then I'm sent home tonight, but I'm still feeling really bad tomorrow. And uh, I decide that I, I better go to the hospital tomorrow. And they admit me in the afternoon at say 2.01 PM, then that's 25 hours after the incident and that is not reportable to OSHA, right. correct? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So I see that as an issue that that keeps coming up. How about you? Yeah, same. But I think far more common is whether the person was admitted to the inpatient unit and whether they received treatment once admitted. Because lots of times they'll go to the, I shouldn't say lots of times, but sometimes they will go to the ER, get all kinds of treatment in the ER, and then for whatever reason, the physician's not comfortable releasing them to go home. So they admit them overnight just to, you know, keep an eye on them. And then the question, like for us, becomes, okay, did that person get any treatment while they were admitted to the inpatient unit, or was it truly just observation? So did they get, like, an IV or did they get any pain medication or, you know, because those things would be treatment. Whereas if it's truly just the person's laying in a bed and they're monitoring their vital signs and that kind of thing, it would not be treatment. It would just be observation and therefore not reportable. So that's what I, I struggle with the most with clients. What about diagnostic testing? The individual is admitted to the hospital within 24 hours of the incident occurring and the, uh, the ER takes a look at this person, but then they say, you know what, we're going to do an MRI and we don't want to send you home until you've had that MRI. So we're going to, we've got a bed for you and we're going to admit you into the hospital just so that you can have an MRI when, when the uh, MRI tech comes in in the morning. In that case, it's just diagnostic testing. So I don't believe that that is that counts as treatment, does it? I agree. I agree. Because, it, I mean, the if you look at the definition of treatment that you would use when you're deciding whether to record a case on your log, whether it's recordable, not reportable, but recordable, 
diagnostic testing is not um, is not treatment. All right. So observation and diagnostic treatment isn't going to cut it. But then here's another question that comes up a lot. How do I know? I'm an I'm an employer. You know, I'm I'm not this person's spouse or family member. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a challenge. It is, especially if you're trying to find out quickly so that you can. A lot of employers, and rightfully so, feel like they've got to figure this out within 24 hours so they can report within 24 hours, not really realizing that if the black letter of the law says you have 24 hours from the time you learn of the inpatient hospitalization for treatment, right? They just think it's 24 hours from the time the injury happens and I either have to report this or not. And so they're like, how do I figure this out quickly? But I mean, I see that happening in two ways because the hospital won't like the doctors aren't going to talk to you because you're not a family member. Right. So employers either talk to the employee if the employee employee is able to communicate. Or they like while the employees in the hospital or they talk to the family members of the employee or, um, you know, typically there's going to be a workers comp claim associated with the injury. And so. You can usually get your hands on initial treatment records that way through the workers' comp claim, but that can take a little while. So it's it's you have to make the report within 24 hours of when you learn about it. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to race to figure it out. You don't have to stalk the family while they're in the hospital to try to figure this out. I mean, you you want to do your due diligence, I think, but. You don't, the clock doesn't start ticking for you to make your report until you know, until you learn about it. And and sometimes you just don't know right away anyway. Right. But to your point, you do have to use due diligence. Like you can't just sit on your hands and say, oh, I never found out. I mean, I, what I tell people usually is if you're not sure, just document the steps that you're taking to figure out whether this person was admitted for treatment. So that if you ever have to prove your timeline later on, you can do that. So those are two, I think, the of the most common issues and and concerns we see with this. With this is the uh, is the timing and and whether or not they get actual treatment in the hospital. And sometimes it's just not clear right away. So I I guess uh, in that case, as you said, good to document the efforts that you make. And as soon as you do find out that there is inpatient hospitalization for treatment, then then the clock starts ticking. Correct. All right. Anything else that we should talk about with that? It's a it's a very important thing, but there's I guess there's not a whole lot more to it than that. No, I I think we covered it. So in other news. We are rapidly approaching the deadline for some employers to make an electronic report to OSHA with their uh, OSHA logs. That comes up on March 2nd, correct? The deadline. Yep. A lot of employers have done this already. We're talking about reporting the logs or the data from the logs for 2023, correct? Correct. And I know we've talked about this before, but 
we are getting close to that deadline, so maybe we should just remind everybody who's going to be required to do this and uh, and what is in, involved with that. Up until now, until 2024, the rule had been for the last couple of years that only some employers or kind of a limited group of employers had to submit just their 300A log, which is the summary of of, uh, recordable injuries. And, uh, and they had to do that electronically by the beginning of March. I think the date changed a little bit. But the group of employers that was included in that was employers who have a minimum of 20 and a maximum of 249 employees if they're in a high risk in industry. And that's defined, I think it's defined in, in the OSHA standards. Or if they have more than 249 employees, regardless of industry, they would have to submit their uh, their 300A data. So that was the that had been the rule for the last several years, but now it's changing. I know we discussed this during our last podcast, but uh, Abby, if you would just let us know what that new change is and who's going to have to do what by March 2nd of this year. Yeah, right. So it, it actually it doesn't really change. It adds to. So if you're an employer in an industry that's listed in Appendix B, so you'll actually have to get into the standard and look at Appendix B. If you are in an is- industry in Appendix B and you have 100 employees at a single establishment, you have to submit not only your 300A summary, but your 300 log of work-related injuries and illnesses and your 301, which is the incident report you fill out for each recordable injury. So that's the new the new deal. And OSHA is, I don't know the date of the next one, but I know they are conducting free um, webinars for employers to train you how to submit this information um, now that they've updated this rule. So if you're lost in the woods and need some help, you might be able to catch one of those still before um, March 2nd to kind of like watch them walk through the process. It might be helpful. I have, I've, I've been meaning now to watch to watch this thing on two different occasions and, you know, more important things have come up both times, but it is available. That, that happened to me too. Um, there is a, there are, if you, if you just Google the OSHA injury tracking application, it'll pull up the page where you're supposed to, or where you have to, um, upload this data. And there are some how-to videos there where you can watch. So I, I don't know if those are the webinars that we had missed, but nonetheless, there is some instruction stuff there. So, all right. Well, I think that's all, that, that, that's a wrap for today. Um, today's Friday and Abby is, as you know, I had been scheduled to be off today because I was supposed to go up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to go dog sledding. That's amazing. It's amazing, but it's also amazing that we have a one in a in 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 the last sixty five years. It's the first winter where they don't have any snow. It's really a shame. Like I really hope. Do they have availability next weekend if it snows and so. if it's cold enough? You can go. Yep. 
They well, yes, yes, they do. But I don't know if there's going to be any more snow. It's much. It like it's. It was in the fifties there this week and like mm-hmm. raining today. So if it it's supposed to get colder next week and hope I I'm praying that there's going to be some snow because it'll be ridiculously exciting. Yeah, yeah, so we'll that'll see. be a good time. Uh, I well, hope so. I'll have to. I'll have to report. Have yeah. to report. Please All right. Do. Well, anything else for the good of the order? No. All right, everybody. Well, as always, thanks for listening. And remember, we are lawyers. But we're not your lawyers, at least not while we're on this podcast.